Hello, and welcome to episode 199 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Summer months activities require travel scenarios. Ooh, they do. Ooh, or travel schemes. Yes. <laughs> I am Rudiger Q Podcaster, aka Trevor, and you are... Julia Gulia of internet fame-podcaster. Correct. Yay. So only one little bit of news this week. We talked about it when it was announced, so I thought we'd talk about it now that it's happened. So, uh... Neon Genesis Evangelion is now officially available on Netflix um, in the U.S. and internationally. Uh-huh. Um, all 26 episodes and uh, both movies, the the you know final versions of the movies. Um, so this is obviously cause for celebration, but it's also raised some some ire and some controversy yeah. um, on several fronts. So Netflix chose to. I, I guess we don't know. So in some of these things, we don't really know who to point the finger at, whether it was Netflix's choice mm-hmm. or Studio Kara, which is the Japanese studio, which is now the home of Anno, Anno and mm-hmm. the Evangelion rights and everything after Gainax kind of dissolved. Um, whether they forced some of these changes mm-hmm. to happen mm-hmm. because of their, their tight scrutiny over the international versions, which they have now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they commissioned an entirely new dub. And they didn't retain any of the voice actors from the original dub, which even the um, Funimation release of the uh, current releases of the new Rebuild movies Mm -hmm. have retained the core cast from the um, ADV Films dub of the TV series. So these are are actors that have been playing these characters for over 20 years now. Right. And none of them were... Tapped. Tapped to this. this. And and apparently, uh, there's all sorts of stuff going around on Twitter about how they they were promised... Um, at least a chance to audition, audition. for the roles or whatever, yeah. and then they didn't. They didn't get called back for it. Like there were kind of there were promises made that weren't delivered on it. It's hard to know really because it's a lot of people sort of pointing fingers. Um, the new dub, by most accounts, is fine, but I think a lot of people that grew up with the original dub, um, it's going to seem too too different to really be able to be judged objectively. And I do think that, have, and of course, you know, the same is true for me because that was the version that I grew up watching, even though when we watched it together, I showed you the mm-hmm. original subtitled version. But those those voices, I do think that definitely like the performances, like I can look back on them now and the performances definitely hold up. The core cast is just phenomenal. Um, and so it's it's too bad. And the new dub, people that have watched it say that it's it's good, but it's it doesn't quite reach the same heights. And the other thing they say that is true of both the new dub and the the new translation of the subtitles and this i think you can point to um studio cara for is that the translation is at times overly literal mm-hmm. which i mean you want for for something as as um rich and detailed as evangelion you definitely want an incredibly accurate translation but you don't necessarily want a purely literal translation you know there's colloquialisms and vernacular in japanese that if you were to just translate it literally would make no sense but even if you just even if you just take things that people are literally saying and translate them it can come off as awkward or stilted and sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're reading the subtitles that can be fine but if you're hearing an actor actually deliver the lines in english it Mm -hmm. can just seem incredibly awkward so that's that's problematic and and so the people say the translation is a little too literal. There's a couple of, of examples of that that people point to. One of them, which we I mentioned to you before, is that the the pilots are called, you know, the, the first child, the second child, the mm-hmm. third child. Mm-hmm. 
But in Japanese, for whatever reason, they're called the first children, the second children, the third children, even though each one is singular. There's mm-hmm. only one third child. But in Japanese, Shinji Ikari is the third children, even though that makes no literal mm-hmm. sense in English. It's just why they did it that way. Who knows? But they were forced to translate it that way now in English also. Right. So that's the translation that you hear the English voice actors deliver, and it seems Weird. kind of strange. Another thing that people are a little up in arms about is that, and you know, there's going to be spoilers for Evangelion here, but there's a character that's introduced oh, very yes. near the end of the series that mm-hmm. um, in the original translation professes his love for Shinji. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can choose to read into that, whether it's romantic love or sort of a... Um, Platonic, I, 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 general. Well, like I, you know, this he he is sort of like this humanistic. Well, it's like I I love you because I love all people, sort mm-hmm. of thing. This like connection, I, no, like this I kind have of a connection, connection, spiritual connection to all people, and so I I choose to, mm-hmm. you know, I choose to be with you of all people. But I am, you know, I would say the same to any Joe Schmo on the street if if I had a similar conversation with him. You can choose to read into it however you want. Um, but in this new translation, he simply says, like, I like you or, you know, I find you worthy of esteem or whatever, which is a very sort of awkward way Removed of phrasing it. Removed and awkward and it takes away from, it takes away from that connection, the depth of that connection that they shared. Well, it's very important for that, for the character of Shinji yeah. at that point in his arc in the show to have someone actually say that he loves him because that's yes, something that he hasn't really important. gotten since yeah. his mother died. Um, and to, and to sort of obscure it a little bit in an overly literal translation kind of dilutes the power of that. Now, this mm-hmm. is one instance where the translator has kind of <laughs> come on Twitter and defended himself a little bit. And he says, and whether this is this was his choice or not, he says that um, there were instances where he chose to translate things in such a way that they could be more open to interpretation, whereas mm-hmm. the original translation that I grew up with would sometimes just be very direct as far as what the characters were meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is perhaps one instance of that, where if you look at the original, and of course this is all just translations, if you look at the original Japanese, he is not saying something as direct as it would be where if we were to say in English, I love you. He is saying something that is not quite that direct, but there's no perfect translation for that. So you have to choose whether to translate it. As I love you, I like very, you, I respect as, yeah, you, like or one of those variants. There's potentially different ways to go, but... And he's chosen perhaps like if you look up a word in the in the dictionary, there's like definition one, definition two, and definition three. You know, yes. none of them are incorrect, but it's like he's chosen to have go. He chose to go with like definition two as opposed to definition one. Mm-hmm. So it's not technically an incorrect translation. It's just seems sort of purposefully obfuscating the mm-hmm. what most people would sort of agree is the intent of the line. Mm-hmm. So there's there's instances of that, and he sort of said it's it was his intention to. Um, to leave things open to interpretation, and that's why he didn't always choose the most literal, you know, or the most direct or the most, you know, forthright way of saying certain things. So I don't know if I necessarily buy that. It could also just be that, because as I said, Studio Kara, the Japanese studio, has has been infamous. They like when they when Funimation was releasing the third rebuild movie, they had a dub completed, and they were going to release the movie. And then the studio, Studio Kara, stepped in and said, no, actually, we don't like this translation. You've got to start over. So it took them like another two years to actually release um, 3.33, the third rebuild movie in North America. Mm-hmm. The Japanese version had been out for like four years at that point. It took them an additional two years to do it because they had to basically start their translation from scratch. Every single word was scrutinized by the Japanese. And then they had to re-record the dub and everything and pay for an entirely new. So... They've got the same level of scrutiny going on here. And you can kind of understand the Japanese studios um, 
their position on this because when the original translation was done, I mean, this was the 90s. This was a little sort of startup, what we would today call like a startup, ADV Films. They were just like a small um, home video company operating out of Texas mm-hmm. and they got the rights to... They had a, uh, they had done some anime releases before, but Evangelion was their biggest one yet. And apparently people say they paid, this is in 1990s dollars, so it can for inflation, but they paid something like $400,000 for the rights, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem like very much when you're talking about like perhaps the biggest anime series of all time, yeah. right? Um, and they, they made their translation, they released it, but this was that was a long time ago and things have definitely changed. Like Evangelion is a cultural institution now. And this is the Netflix release that is going to be the official yeah. way of seeing this series for however long they have the rights, five years, 10 years, who even knows if Netflix will be around in 10 years. But in every country around the world, this is the official home of ne- of Evangelion now, with the exception of Japan, where you can just go out and buy the Blu-rays or whatever, is Netflix. And so you can kind of understand the studio wanting this to be the definitive, most accurate translation possible but some people feel they sort of overstep their bounds and maybe the translation, like I say, is problematic in a few places. So, and, and the one other thing that people are up in arms about, and this is more Netflix's fault, is that the the closing credits no longer have Fly Me to the oh, Moon yeah. over top of it, which was a huge part of the feel of the original show because the song at, at the, in the after coming after the darkest episodes would serve as like a really interesting juxtaposition. And there would also be episodes where they were, in fact, like over the course of the 26 episodes, there were probably something like 13 or 14 different versions of the song. Mm-hmm. Some would be sung by actors from the show. Others would have like interesting effects going on or different colors mm-hmm. um, to reflect something that had just happened in the episode. Um, and all that's gone. And now it's just a, a simple a rendition of Ray's theme that plays over the closing credits. So, and, and that is apparently down to the fact that Netflix didn't want to pony up the money for the uh, for, for the the international Sorry, rights I'm to a so song to a song which obviously was not originated by the Evangelion production yeah. Fly Me to the Moon is like a standard that goes back however many decades mm-hmm. you know as a as a song a popular song that was released in North America mm-hmm. um, so the the international rights for that are a whole other kettle of fish beyond just licensing the rights to release the anime and mm-hmm. they didn't want to deal with all that so they just chose to not pay for that so that's a bit of a bummer because that is a big part of the original series so if you want to if you want to watch it with fly me to the moon at the end you have to find some way of viewing japanese netflix and then you can get the original one but in every other country that that is gone now so that's a bit of a pain so it's too bad that this isn't this release is not like the perfect mm-hmm. release that has fly me to the moon that has, it should have been i really think that they undercut it that they they did a huge disservice to the original art that it was if you're going to release something then that's already kind of canonized in culture then do right by it and you know digitally remaster it or get a really awesome voice cast to do another fresher audio version of it but I, i just so many awful changes to something that was just a finished product and stood the test of time for the like the last however many decades it's been out and now they're just changing it outright because they're cheap and because they're um censored up you know to to within a, in, an inch of the original work's life it's just it's so sad it's so irritating and the, it's just wrong the flying to the moon one is the only one that i can really find it within myself to be irritated by because the others are a matter of opinion right like well, anytime you're translating something from a language like Japanese into English, there are 
like there might have been a creative reason why they chose to call it like the third children in Japanese because they would know that that's not how yeah. that's not the English word and if there was a reason why they did that whatever that reason is and they want that maintained in the new official translation that's their that's their prerogative it's yeah. their creation right similarly if they if they weren't happy with the original dub and they want a new dub that they feel is more accurate and I haven't really heard anybody say bad things about the quality of the acting or the mm-hmm. casting in the new mm-hmm. dub that's all fine I mean in a perfect world they would have paid Netflix would have paid for the rights to license the original dub audio track and you could choose between classic dub new dub and Japanese when you're selecting your audio tracks but that would have been really above and beyond I don't think anybody expected them to do that no. and that could have been a whole nother rights issue who knows um, so the only thing I can really get mad about is the fly me to the moon thing because that was just them cheaping out on it. everything else is subjective like yeah the it is probably a more accurate translation in places and things like that and even though I feel it loses something a lot of that is probably just because I'm biased because I grew up with the original translation. I do think it struck a really good balance between accuracy and um, feeling natural. But there definitely were instances, and I know from my back all the time I spent on that original Evangelion mailing list that I was on in high school or whatever, there were instances when a new a new, um, a new VHS tape would be released and, and people would, would watch the dub and they'd be like, this, what, what did this line mean? I don't understand what the character was talking about here. And, and of course, everybody else would say, oh, you, know, you should really should be watching it subtitled because it's much clearer in the original. Ja-. Of course, that's what everybody says. But, oh, you really should be watching it in the original Japanese. Mm-hmm. But there definitely were. You haven't lived until you've seen it in the original Klingon. Yeah. Especially as the series got a lot more obscure uh, and complex in the lat in the later episodes, there were definitely instances where the original dub didn't really do its service because there were things that were mistranslated or whatever because they were working on a very small budget and they didn't have a lot of time. They were trying to get these episodes out as, as quickly as possible. So there were definitely instances where the original translation doesn't hold up. But, you know, it still would have been nice to have it. But still, it's it's too bad that this isn't like the perfect definitive version. But then again, I mean, you're watching something that's not we're, we're, we don't understand Japanese and we're watching something that has to be a translation, right? The only right. way to get the true version would be to learn Japanese and listen to it in that. Like you're never going to get, there can never be a perfect translation. There can just be, you know, varying degrees of accuracy, but you're never going to reach 100%. So I know, but when, you, when you've had something like this that's been out for the longest time, and I think part of it is is a nostalgia factor. Like they everybody was so excited when this was released because it meant, it already means a lot to a lot of people and to have it so changed and for no, I, I'm a little bit more angry about it than you are because it's like, it, it, they took away things with the changes that they made and it won't be as powerful and impactful and good as it was the first time that I saw it, you know, and so that it changes the definition of what the thing is. Well, I've given you a couple. I mean, like I say, fly me to the moon aside. I've given you a couple of examples of, of and they are the most egregious examples of things that they changed. But those are out of like tens of thousands of lines that they probably did a great job on. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit of cherry picking to. Uh, yeah, but Shinji's and the other character's relationship, which I'm trying not to spoil because you didn't mention the character's name. So I'm not going to either. But that that relationship is really powerful. And to have it distilled yeah, in this way. Yeah, that's the one that kind of gets, gets me a little bit. And it feels really so they... much like it was because um, it was because they are slightly homophobic in their I don't, censorship. I don't think that's 
well, no, but nobody's censoring it. These are the people that made the original anime. But that's what it feels like. The censorship censoring is, their own work twenty years after the yeah. fact. Yeah, I don't know. That that seems because it's not their own work. You just said that it was a the the rights of it changed hands from one no, shop that but dissolved still, into another. It's, it's essentially the same people. It's just the the one studio dissolved and a lot of the and the key people moved over and started a new. I studio. think it's, it's essentially, a really it's insensitive change in order to make like something that was so. I think it. Iconic. I think it just. I think it. I, I. From what I've heard people say that actually like understand Japanese, that it's it's not it's not the most obvious way to translate it, but it's a valid way of translating it. And if if the intention behind the original line was not for it to be so on the nose, mm-hmm. in in such a way that that American viewers would immediately construe as an intention of romantic love, which is immediately what what when you have one character say to another character, "I love you." Especially when they're like pubescent teenagers, mm-hmm. then immediately our our minds go to like, oh, he's it's a declaration mm-hmm. of romantic love because that's generally when mm-hmm. people say that that's what they mean, right? Unless you bring to the table knowledge that oh, they're you know they're brother and sister or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, then obviously not. But but in in this situation, you would immediately go to that. But a Japanese audience would not necessarily make that assumption because of the nuance of the original Japanese. And so I the sense I get is that the original writers were disappointed that some of the ambiguity in that line was lost. And this was an attempt to reintroduce that. But there's no perfect way to do that because we don't have a perfectly ambiguous way of phrasing it. So they chose to go with a way that was like the translator said on Twitter, purposefully intended to leave it open to interpretation when we're not we weren't used to being it open to interpretation before because it was presented to us originally as much more of a clear cut declaration. What about I admire you? That's there's 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 an element of that in there. I've only given you a couple of obviously they have multiple conversations about it in the episode and I've just given you a couple of of examples. Um, but I think there is there's an element the way the way their conversation is going now there's an element of, of admiration there's an element of like a deep connection and an empathy to to it but it, there's no there's not as much of a hint of the romantic aspect anyway we could go around and around about this it that's that i think that's one instance where it, it bothers me more because i was more used to the original translation but i mean this is the whole argument people have about the original star wars movies right like is yes it, we, we've gotten used to one version of these things but now george lucas comes along and tells us we were wrong to enjoy it that way and this is the new proper way to enjoy it and you can't get the old way to enjoy it anymore mm-hmm. um but it's a little different because I think that's criminal. <laughs> but it, but it's a little different here because George Lucas is is changing the original work and mm-hmm. denying us access to it. Mm-hmm. That's not what is happening here. This is a translation, a der- derivation of the original work. And these are the authors stepping in and saying, we weren't happy with with the transformation you took our work through. We're going to oversee a more accurate transformation mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. they're not depriving anyone of the original work you can still go watch it in the original japanese and it's exactly the same as it was 25 years ago mm-hmm. they they just see it as their responsibility to present a more what they seem to be a more accurate version to the world for posterity now mm-hmm. so it's a little bit of different to the george lucas thing but it does recall that to me where it feels like mm-hmm. the creators are stepping in and saying oh all that all all those emotions and fan art and fanfic and, and shipping that everybody invested for 25 years, you were wrong to do that because we actually meant it to be super ambiguous. You know what I mean? So, but it's it's a it's a tricky topic. Anyway, uh, so I'm happy that it's out there. Um, there's been a lot of great think pieces and so on written recently, and and I think it's great that it's being introduced to a whole new generation of fans. Um, we did a whole megasode about it two years ago, three years so, ago. Yeah. Um, 
where I sort it must of, have been three years ago because we watched it on our honeymoon. Right, where I sort of poured <laughs> my heart out about what the series means to me. Mm. So you can maybe I'll put a link, link to that in, in the, the show, show notes. notes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's very important to me, and so that's you know any any change to it is going to be hurtful. <laughs> is, is is going to bother me, but it it is a situation where I can see both sides of it. So it's I, I think overall, I mean, even if it's not perfect, the 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 fact that it's out there now in a way because there was it was out of print like you can yeah, get it in japan but true. if you're literally anywhere else in the world you would either have to pirate it or pay hundreds of dollars for an out of print dvd box set mm-hmm. that originally cost like 50 bucks and you'd have to pay 300 on ebay or something yeah, yeah. and that was just getting standard def on discs yeah. that were falling apart you know yeah so the fact that it's out there now in hd everywhere streaming yep. you know the original series and the movies with a consistent, the other thing too is that now there's a consistent translation across the TV series and the movies because originally the TV series was released by ADV and the movies were released by Manga Entertainment and they had different translators mm-hmm. and a largely different dub cast, although they did get some of the, the core actors back, like I said. Um, and the discs, the original DVDs weren't made very well. Like it was not, and this is, remember back when DVDs advertised anamorphic versus non-anamorphic widescreen and you (laughs) would put a movie you'd put a widescreen movie on your widescreen tv but it wouldn't fill the screen it would have black on all four sides and it's because it wasn't enhanced remember the term enhanced for widescreen tvs remember reading that on the back of dvd (laughs) uh, box box cases it wasn't so you'd have to use the zoom feature on your widescreen tv to blow it up to fill the screen and everything would get super pixely because now you're blowing up a 480i image or 480p depending i thought it was 480p i think it was 480i onto a 1080p HDTV and it would, would look terrible. So the idea that's now all out there with a consistent voice, authorial voice to the entire translation, yeah. the TV series and the movies with the same cast, the same translators, all in HD, all just go straight from one to the other, um, I think is a boon to, you know, yeah. the, the franchise and a boon to the culture that now so many people can experience this because I really think that it's, it's an important thing um, that, you know, even if... If one in a thousand people that watches it, it it's, hits them the way it hit me, you know, when mm-hmm. you approach it at that impressionable age. I really think it's something that can translate. If you, I think the older you get, probably the, the more the anime tropes kind of trip you up. Like mm-hmm. if you're 50 years old and you're like, hmm, I feel like watching a series that's a, that's a treatise on depression and emotional <laughs> detachment. I'm going to watch this giant mecha anime. Yeah. It's probably not, right? Yeah. Unless you're super open-minded. So there's a bit of a barrier there to some people, obviously, just in terms of the tropes and the format right. of the, of it being an anime right. from the, the 90s. Yeah. Um, but if you're of, of a mind to watch something like this and you sort of unsuspectingly think it's going to be one thing and that turns out to be what it turns out to be, then mm-hmm. I think it can have a pretty profound effect on you like it did on me. So I, I'm glad that it's out there. And so I find it hard to be anything other than Happy. celebratory about the fact that it's finally available <laughs> for right for the world to see now after so long. And, in, in you know, it looks and sounds better than it ever did in terms of the actual fidelity yeah. of the the... I'm just wondering, especially about the Kaoru thing, I'm wondering how many kids out there watching this sort of discovered their own, just because it is heavily involving identity and self-love and um, overcoming your inner demons and all that stuff and sort of getting to know yourself. And I just wonder how many people responded to the cow oh i almost said it <laughs> should i just well, spoil his I mean, name he's, he's been out for a long time with the the Kaoru relationship to shinji like how many people were like wait a minute i think i'm discovering the fact that i'm 
homosexual like that <laughs> that that piece of it is probably even more resonant and important to... i know that it's definitely um a, a ship as the kids say yeah that, was, it that, is. It, that is very um impor- i was shipping them <laughs> important to a lot of um lgbtq fans that you know not that we even had that term in 1995 know, or whatever it was but it that's was, why it was so important um, back then because i think there was especially like even now in cinema in movies in in mainstream media you don't really see a lot of lgbtq representation you just don't so back then for something to be acknowledging it and leaving it open to possibility for a character and what's to say who's to say that he can't be bisexual maybe he's discovering that about himself like what's wrong with that so that kind of interpretation and shipping um, is unexpected in 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 a cartoon. Or I think in, though that people and... people, especially people that are of a mind to ship these characters, like their radar are so attuned to it. Like people people that look for these kinds of relationships to invest themselves into can build up these relationships in their mind when there's almost nothing there <laughs> in the original text to base it on. Maybe. Like one little look between two characters and people I'm... are like, oh man, they're they're. Yeah, yeah. I definitely want to ship those two. Well, that's one thing. This, but... There's still even in this new translation. There's still so so much subtext in there that I think those people are not going to have any trouble finding something to to latch onto and and spawn a million more fanfics. <laughs> Maybe not, but I think that it was a really bad decision to change this particular text. I think so. So I think that ultimately, even though I can respect that perhaps it is a more accurate translation, I can't speak to that because I I don't, don't understand Japanese. Japanese yeah. I do think that it was an instance of the the Japanese studio perhaps underestimating the the um the importance to the, the American the importance audience. of the original line that yeah. even if it wasn't their intention and this is again a, a parallel to the George Lucas thing at a certain point that's you what put art out into the from. world yep. and the original translation was its own derivative admittedly but still its own work of art right that became important to people um and even though it's not their responsibility to enshrine some 25-year-old translation of their original art and and preserve that. That's not their responsibility. They didn't create that original dub. They nope. have no responsibility to safeguard it or preserve it in any way. Right. Um, still, it's it seems a little... It seems short-sighted. Yes. And a little insensitive yes. Yes. to exactly. not take and that into is my account point. the... the like, it's absurd. The secondary impact it's of it. It's an absurd... <laughs> that's the second impact of exactly. it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it, it may seem... Um, it's it's a ridiculous uh, analogy, but when some of the original Final Fantasy games were released in North America, there were some really wacky translation choices made in those original versions because in some cases, like it was people that translated them that seemingly didn't really understand English yeah. very well. Um, <laughs> or the original Japanese people were like, no, Demon you got to translate this one. Like, are you sure? Like there's an instance <laughs> in Final Fantasy IV, which was released in Final Fantasy II, where one character calls another character a spoony bard. And you're like, Spoonie, like no one in history has ever, like, I know it's a word, but you would not, you know what I mean? Like, it, and it became, it became, or like, I Garland will knock you all down is another translation from the original, right? And, and those, those are dumb and bad translations, 
but Square <laughs> is is um, in touch with its fan base enough to know that every time they re-release those games, yes. there's a few of those lines which are taken on, which have achieved like meme status. Mm-hmm. That even though they know that there were bad translations at the time, they keep they them in. Them they in. keep them yes. in there, even if they change literally every other line yeah. to make it sound more Baroque and Shakespearean in the way it was originally intended to be, like the High Courts of the Kingdom of Baron and thee and thou and so on. Right? They still keep the Spoony Bard line in there because everybody knows that line and it's <laughs> and the fans love it right yes yes i do think at a certain point you need to be aware of the fact that the fans take a certain ownership yes towards so be they silly things like spoony bard or like things that actually mean something to you know young gay kids growing up watching the mm-hmm. show like how was saying i love you you need to be aware of the impact your art has had and do your and best to thread it. that needle yeah. of between accuracy and fidelity to the fans that have kept this franchise alive for yes. 25 years and just not to spite them either intentionally or unintentionally. That's the nature of art. Sometimes you you just see how somebody who doesn't think like you interprets this thing. And to to disregard that is to disregard people, you know, and, and that's not, that's never nice to feel that that's what's happened. And that's why I take issue with, some of the more negative changes especially with this interaction with this relationship um that sucks it's just i'm i'm not happy about that choice and i res- i understand like i am a linguist and i i'm a writer and i have definitely wanted to change things once things are are done and out there and i'm like okay i should have done this and if i get another chance at xyz that's what i will do but like you said like once it's out there it doesn't just belong to you anymore and for something so socially impactful and meaningful and iconic that it, it's a poor decision to make a change to that uh translation it's just a bad idea it's not it's insensitive and it's a poor decision so can't make me unthink that <laughs> Um, that was a heck of a bit of news. We only talked about yeah. one news item. <laughs> Should we move on to our comics of the week? I am ready. What was your comic of the week? This week, I picked um, Superman Year Number One. Year One, Number One. <laughs> the first issue of Superman Year One. Um, it was amazing. I I haven't ever seen the uh, Clark Kent, Kal-El origin story from this perspective before. I mean, yes, you've seen the whole point of view from the the ship, but the entire idea that he is smarter than he lets on from the very, very beginning, like this is, um, what what would you say? He's an infant, maybe just older than an infant, and he meets Jonathan Kent and the the whole interaction where he puts his head on, uh, his, his teeny little baby hands on his head and makes him think that it's his idea to take him home and that he examines him on some level to That was know the one that thing that I wasn't crazy about. Thing. The idea yeah, that it removes it some of weird. the agency from the Kents. Yeah, that, that it, they too. were kind of like brainwashed into caring for him. Yeah, like, but then it didn't ever come up before like if it I, I I wasn't unclear about whether Kal-El was doing that mm-hmm. unintentionally in his little baby mind with powers he didn't fully understand yet right. or whether the ship was doing that because there were elements oh, of the ship yes, they were. doing things to to soothe the, the baby, baby and doing things like that. So I thought maybe the ship was sending out some sort of ray or whatever. Either way, I'm still not crazy about the implication that it wasn't entirely their decision to take the yeah. baby in. I just thought it was but interesting. That was the one thing that I sort of tripped up. But usually most Frank Miller stories have like one little thing where you're like, that's an mm, odd choice. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the 
the interaction. I liked the voice of it. It was definitely um, different. I I thought at any point that he could go crazy and this story could have a very, very no, horrible ending. No, I didn't think but... it was going to go that way. You wouldn't call it Superman Year One no. if it was a dark alternate take on Superman. You only call it that if it's like this is something that even though it's not in continuity... Yeah could be like you could hand this to someone and say this is Superman's origin and they, they would not come away thinking that Superman is a mass murderer or something. You know? Yeah, exactly. I like the idea that he, he grew up this way. I like the idea that in this scary situation where you have a toddler that can throw a tantrum that could burn your house down and kill everybody inside of it, like you still love that little child and, and endanger yourself, like literally endanger yourself in order to try to raise this little person. And that's what they were doing. And they, uh, it's it's interesting to hear the voice of the Kents because it, it's really much more faith-based than I've ever seen before. Um, their good ethics are grounded in faith. And you can see that coming through the, the pages. Like um, when, when Martha is telling him about some verse that she read and, and she's quoting the Bible, she's quoting verse. And those lessons that they always impart to their son about being a good person and stuff, like they're more closely tied to religion and it's seeing the nicer side of organized religion that's a, a, new, a new take on his origin story. I love the art. John Romita Jr. Yeah. is doing a really splendid job. And it's one of my first exposures to him. I think I saw like a YouTube video. You've read a couple of things he's things. done before. He did the first arc on All-Star Batman with Scott Snyder. It's the one where Batman and Two-Face were crossing the country trying to get to a place. Oh, and he also did, he also co-created Silencer and did the art on the first few issues of Silencer. I remember that. Oh, yes. So angular. Yeah, it, it's got this cool, stark... Full of contrast, really bright colors. I mean, I'm not sure if he does the colors, though. Is that his doing? No. I'm trying to think of who did the colors on this, and I can't bring it to mind. But no, he doesn't color his own stuff. The The nature of the drawings themselves, the nature of the inks themselves, it's almost as if they're crying out for bright kind of coloring. Anyway, it's... It's really pretty art. I love the story um, between him and Lana. I love that whole first year. I love the 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 way you see him forever, ever, ever under control of his powers and really being reminded by his parents over and over and over again that he could really hurt somebody. And his parents don't even know how much he's restraining. Like they're playing catch outside and he can easily puncture him with the baseball, the soft little baseball. He can easily crush it just by catching it wrong. And he's thinking about all of it. Like that's a sub process that's running in the side of his brain forever because he is more powerful than all of these frail little humans. But he never takes it too far and he never loses his temper and it's such a cool way to portray his character and now he's joined the navy because that's what young young kids who feel the call of the ocean want to do so i feel it's something that's in that's in character with the the version of the character presented yes. in this issue he's not doing it because he wants to you know, commit violence or hurt people or yeah. whatever. He, he, wants he genuinely a, wanted to he see He wants the a world. way to see the world. Yeah. And, you know, he's from a poor town in Kansas. Like, yeah. how is he going to... He can't, like, book flights all over the world and go... Yeah. He's not Bruce Wayne. He can't go wherever he wants. He doesn't even know he can fly yet. Yeah. Until, well, he does you know, by the end issue, of this. Yeah, but... Um, 
but yeah, it's it's a way to see the world. Like I, it's something that happens a lot. Like right, people from yes, all across the country who don't have a lot of means and want to sort of get out of a small town and mm-hmm. want to see the world and get some life experience and learn some skills, join mm-hmm. the military. Yeah. You know, and they don't do it because they want to shoot guns necessarily. Right. Um, I'd be curious to see how they how they. I'm assuming the next issue is going to deal with this and not just like jump forward to him arriving in Metropolis with glasses. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be, if the next issue is about this, it'll be interesting to see like, because the, they could they could take it too far and they could like, if he actually in the Navy kills people, even if he doesn't want to, then I'm not, you know, right, like yeah, you, yeah. you'd start to lose me at that point unless it's done very carefully. I don't know. Um so I don't know. I, we'll see how they do. Like I, at this, I, this, I really enjoyed this first issue too. Um, but Frank Miller is a has a very particular taste about about some a very particular take on things sometimes. And being you know like one of the elder statesmen now of comics, they basically let him do whatever he wants. So they wouldn't give some guy off the street the opportunity to do this big DC black label series about Superman where he joins the Navy and kills people, but mm-hmm. they might let Frank Miller do that. So I don't know <laughs> what to expect in issue number two. He might start killing people in the Navy. I have no idea because I, I believe that they would let Frank Miller do that if that's the story he wanted to tell because by this point he's earned it, right? Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't necessarily even be a bad story. It just at that point, it would be like, okay, well, this is not a version of Superman that I'm necessarily going to respond to very well. So we'll have to wait and see. So I'm still a little tentative about it because Frank Miller stories can kind of go off the rails sometimes. Yeah. I mean, he's told told some absolute classics, of course, you know, Daredevil Born Again, Batman Year One, Dark Knight Returns. Right. But then he's also had other stuff like Dark Knight 2, which was problematic and weird in a lot of ways. And some people think it was like actually a, a secret act of genius, but other people think it was just bad. It's like the Phantom Menace where everybody built it up like, oh, he's he's coming back. He's going to do a sequel to The Dark Knight Returns. Yep. Like, can you believe it? And then it was like, what is this? Like, it was so different. But I don't know. Like, I haven't read it in probably 15 years. But And then there's, he's done other stuff since then. And it's like, it's always been kind of weird, like weird sort of like pseudo-militaristic, mm-hmm. almost jingoistic in a way mm-hmm. stuff. And you're like, there's, there's weird like... There's a weird political message to this, and there's a weird sort of gender politics thing going on here. But this is this is like the most crowd pleasing thing I think he's done in a long time. Like yeah. like you could hand this to someone, I don't think they would even know that Frank Miller wrote it, which it kind of sounds like a backhanded compliment. But <laughs> I think this is the best thing I've that I've read that he's written probably in over ten years. So wow. I'm, so I'm looking forward to reading more of it. I just hope it doesn't go off the rails. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it too. Um, I wanted to give honorable mention to Batman because the whole... Oh, well, I was that was my pick. So you yeah. wanted to let me talk about... Perfect, talk about do my... it. That was my so, honorable yeah. So mention. I think I probably would have picked Superman Year One also if you hadn't picked it. But I, I really enjoyed this issue of Batman. I, again, as is typical with a lot of these issues, not a ton happens. It's mostly just... Character work. Flashpoint Batman leading his son across the desert, having a couple of scraps with ninjas and the two of them talking periodically. And there's a lot of silent pages and a lot of silent panels. Beautiful but just the art. way that... Well, Mikhail Janin art obviously is always beautiful, but it's the, it's the way that it's constructed. I love the I love the way the King can craft like a, a little short story or a little like self contained issue where there's there's so many setups and payoffs, and it's not it's it should be a basic thing to do, but so many comic book writers when they're writing like a six issue arc or in this case like a hundred issue arc yeah. will not have the inclination or the discipline to have little setups and payoffs in each issue. They'll be like, you'll read an issue of of a story. You'll read, you know, Teen Titans number 27. Yep. And you won't feel like you got any kind of complete story. It doesn't have any sort of arc to it. It's just a series of things that happen in amongst 
six, a six-issue storyline. It'll be like you watch a random 15-minute chunk of a movie. There's no up and down to it. There's no character arc within that chunk of time because it wasn't designed to be read as a discrete chunk. It was designed to be part five of a six-part story. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tom King's issues, even when they are a small part of a, in this case, like a 100-issue mega arc, um, will have these little setups and payoffs where you it poses questions or raises mysteries at the beginning, like who's in the coffin? Why are these ninjas attacking him? What's you know why are they here in the first place? Yep. What are they going? Where are they going to? And it gives you little breadcrumbs that you the more you pay attention, the more and you it's the kind of thing where you flip back a couple of pages, like oh wait is that why he was saying that or mm-hmm. oh is that what that meant or oh were they you know and yeah. then you you go back and you realize oh that makes sense and then you get to the end and it all pays off and it's just one issue of a much larger thing, but it has that gratification and that structure to it. That I feel like is a is a discipline that is lacking in a lot of modern serialized storytelling. That you get that reward, that gratification, even in a even in twenty pages. Yep. And we've seen him write eight or ten page stories in Action One Thousand or Detective One Thousand that still have those sort of mysteries and payoffs, like mm-hmm. the story in Detective One Thousand where it was two sequences. One it was Bruce going to his parents' grave in the rain, and then the modern in the present day. Or, or the other sequence was all the Bat family getting together on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what are they getting together for? What are they talking about? Who's talking? Why is he going to the grave on this particular thing? Mm-hmm. And there's, set, there's mystery in this setup and payoff, even in that little 10-page storyline. Mm-hmm. So he, I really feel like he's, he's got that down. And so when you read an issue like this, it's just like a little, it's mm-hmm. like a little gem even amongst all the other bigger storylines. So yeah. it's not the flashiest thing we read this week or the, or the most impactful or the most eventful or the densest or any mm-hmm. of those things. But I just thought that it was just like a little... Microcosm of, of the the craft that he brings to the whole arc. I agree. That was very nicely phrased. Did you have any additional comments or did I sort of hit all your points? On no, that? you hit all the points. I thought it was gorgeous. I thought, like you said, the, the, the setups and the payoffs inside the issue were beautiful. The interactions, as as typical Tom King fashion, the, the, the character beats between father and son and, and Batman and Batman and... The quiet moments where uh, Bruce Wayne, now recovered, puts on his mask and stands, sits proud atop the horse, you know, on the on the desert as he continues towards his father's mission it is just really beautifully drawn. It was beautifully written. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard to beat. So, yeah, that's why I had to mention it, because it's so good. Should we move on to your pop quiz? Yes, I'm ready. So this week, I'm going to be quizzing you about memorable Evangelion quotes. Oh. So I'm going to read you a quote, and you're going to have to tell me who said it. Now, of okay. course, it's it's a little problematic because... Of I'm the more, translation? Well, it's like <laughs> I, I found these quotes online, and I remember almost all of them from the show, but and like, was this a quote from the original dub or the original subtitles or mm. the new dub or the new... But I'll I think do my it, best. I think in pretty much all cases, you'll even if the exact phrasing is different than what you remember, mm-hmm. not that you've seen it, Enough to necessarily remember oh, the exact the phrasing time, of individual lines. Three years I think ago. Hopefully you'll still, um, you'll still recognize most Let's of Let's rattle the cage and see what shakes loose. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so number one, I mustn't run away. Oh, that's Shinji. Right, okay. Number yes. two, mm-hmm. as long as one person still lives, it shall be eternal proof that mankind ever existed. Oh, that's nice. Seems like something a narrator would... Oh, how about Shinji's mom? Yes. We probably awesome. want to stay away from the context of some of these lines and uh, for fear of spoilers, but yes. That okay. was from uh, the movie. Nice. All right, number three. Mm-hmm. How disgusting. 
Last line, As- um, Asuka. No, the girl, the red-haired yes, girl. Yes, that's right. You got it. Oh, awesome. Okay. Number four. Mm-hmm. The interaction of men and women isn't very logical. <laughs> Spock. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Seriously. Huh. Oh, that's a toughie. Is it Kauru? No. Is it... Then I'll take one more guess, and then I'll call it done. It must be Ikari. Ikari? Who? Which Ikari? Sorry, I, I, I'm sorry. Um, Ikari. Uh, the uh, uh, Shinji's dad. Gendo? Gendo. No. No, he, I don't think he would ever be so... I don't know. I thought he was just kind of... Verbose about his, <laughs> his no, opinions on sexual politics. Sexual politics? I don't know. No, it was, it, was uh, just... it was Ritsuko, Dr. Ritsuko Akagi. The blonde okay. scientist lady. Oh, remember? no, I remember her. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. She was in love with Gendo, wasn't she? Well, that's a bit of a spoiler. But oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's a 25-year-old show. Come on. Come make no, some slack about spoilers. But no, I wouldn't say she was, even in, I wouldn't say she was even in love with him. I don't think it was anything okay. quite, that, quite that simple that was happening. All right. All right. Number five. All right. If you know pain and hardship, it's easier to be kind to others. Oh, that's a good quote. Oh, that's got to be Watermelon Dude. <laughs> watermelon Dude. That's yeah. his name. <laughs> but that has to be it. Yes, he seems you're right. the was, most together it was, it person. Was Kaji. Yeah, Kaji. That's okay. right. During one of his uh, <laughs> little pep talks to yes. Shinji. It makes perfect sense. It's such a mentor thing to say. But you've got to be together as a mentor to be that wise. All right. Number six. Okay. Singing brings us joy. It is the highest point in the culture the Lilims have created. That has to be Kaoru. That's right. Do you remember what song specifically he was referring to? Ode to Joy? That's right. Yes. All right. Number. <laughs> Dude, do I get extra credit for that? Slam that no, out of the park. No, everybody remembers. Okay. That's one of the most iconic moments in the All whole right. show is All when right. that song is All right. All right. Number seven. Yes. I am not a doll. Oh, that's Aya- um. Oh, God. Blue hair. Ayami? Ay- Ayani? Ayami? Amy? <laughs> Amy. Amy. It was Amy Adams. Amy. No, you're thinking of Ray? Ray, why did I think of Ayami? Oh. Well, her last name is Ayanami. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, it must be. Ayanami. So I'm looking at this and it says Asuka, but obviously Ray said that too in mm-hmm. the elevator scene. But I think Asuka might have also oh, said did. it because it was her oh, thing with dolls. God. It was yes. her hang up. So I think they probably, but yes, you're right. Ray did say it. So but she I'll did. give you that one. She did say that. All right. So number eight, last one. When Shinji I can't get, even tell you it was the elevator scene. Yes, anyway. I, I said that. It was the elevator scene that Ray says oh, it. But sorry. I think Asuka might have also said it in like in flashbacks or in her mm-hmm. mental state or whatever. All right, number eight. Mm -hmm. When Shinji is near me, all I ever do is cause him pain. I thought I was better when I did nothing at all. Is that Ray also? No. Ray doesn't really cause Shinji pain. Just her exit. She also, I I think that would be the longest sentence she ever put together either. Gendo. Yes, that's him at the end of the movie. Oh, wow, that's messed up. Wow. So you did pretty profound. good. You got one, two, three. You got it. Well, if I give you Gendo there, even though it wasn't your first guess, you got seven out of eight. That's pretty good. You didn't get the Ritzko one, but you got all the other ones. No, I did not get Ritzko. But that's good, though. Hey. Proud right. of me? Yes. So should we talk about our shows? <laughs> that was fun. Um, yes, ready. So we, should we have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Krypton, mm-hmm. and Swamp Thing. Awesome. So this was a good episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This was the Fitz, was and, of Fitz and Simmons hour, basically. Yep. I like it when they do these... Um, 
off-brand we call them a bottle episode because there's there were some existing sets but then there was like that weird mind room that they were in but multiple mind rooms it's more of a it's more of like a um an off-format episode than it is a bottle episode necessarily and i think they always do really good off-format episodes like the one where simmons was trapped on the other planet and Mm -hmm. and shows other examples i'm not thinking of but um yeah, it was really good. And I feel like I'm mean, obviously the two actors did a fantastic job. It really got to the heart of their relationship. Yeah. And we see like some of their earliest interactions. Mm-hmm. And then we see them, you know, meeting Colson for the first time and some other stuff along mm-hmm. the way. And we saw how they view each other and themselves and their friends and what their fears are mm-hmm. and what their own, their insecurities and, and why, and kind of like ultimately why they belong together and why they're stronger together and all these other things. Enoch's arc continues to grow. Yeah, he got a couple of scenes, but at the end, he kind of do what we did, what we kind of Expect expected he to. was due and, and turn turn on his race in favor of helping them. Although I wonder if they're just going to escape or whether they're going to try to find some other way of helping his people. Like maybe they're... That's what I think because I know that he knows that they would be willing to help if they can and that... Um, but killing them is not what he wants his people to be identified by either because yeah. what, what makes them better is that they are observers and that they are benevolent and as soon as they start taking actions like any other testosterone-driven kind of, you know, species, then how dare they behave that way? Even in the most dire of circumstances, they should hold their heads up high. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the core of who he is. And and also, he does treasure his friendship with uh, Fitz. So, uh, and for those two motivations, I think that's totally on brand with his character Mm -hmm. and i think that honestly that kind of behavior will be what saves his people well that would be the the ideal the more obvious way of going i don't know if they'll do that or not maybe his people won't get saved you know could be maybe they'll choose to die out rather than sacrifice their ideals and sometimes and they are the logical they seem like the more logical species you know and so sometimes they know that every species has its beginning and its end and if that's their end then they should face it with grace instead of being awful in the sunset of their existence you know right um (laughs) i don't know how well i phrased that but i think i got my point across i really enjoyed this episode and you, uh, you thought this? We, I think we both thought that this episode of Krypton was an improvement over the, uh, the season premiere. Also, that was, it was fun. sort of a it was sort of a um, clunky season premiere, but this one I think gave you a better sense of how the of the trajectory of the stories and things were happening with a greater pace and things. I'm gonna the things make that a were car analogy. More the first, the season premiere is like a, a janky car that stalls at a stoplight, and so that's how it felt. But now the engine is running, and it seems to be going in a positive direction in a more interesting route well the scenes with lobo gave the gave the episode a nice energy too because the actor was doing it was doing it what i thought was a great job with I the character so and, i mean my my still blown away that that's the same guy that played jim corrigan the the only the only critique i would have and this Crazy. is nobody nobody's fault obviously you cast the best actor for the role but i i i'm so used to lobo even more so than like characters like superman or batman or whatever just being physically huge mm. just being like muscle on top of muscle and this guy is Obviously in super he's good jacked, super good shape, but, but he's not like he's not Schwarzenegger a, yeah, size, which yeah. is kind of like in my mind when you think of Lobo, you think of him as being bigger than everybody, you know what I mean? Um but it's Right. It's fine. Um but yeah, obviously like he's got the character's mannerisms down and everything in his attitude. <laughs> he's funny. Um 
and the scenes with him the scenes with him and Sag and Adam were, were funny at times they were like funny. They, they've got sort of like a good comedic yeah. um, banter thing going on mm-hmm. the thing with Brainiac slowly taking over Sag was interesting um, yeah and, and I don't know why I didn't see it sooner because obviously even within like they even referenced it in this episode that was how Brainiac came to be on Krypton in the first place is that he infected the voice of Rao or whatever it was called was it the voice yes, of Rao it was. and sort of but through a, came yeah. through his body and, oh, yeah, and that was that was how he he achieved corporeal form on Krypton in the first place. So obviously, it's not without precedent. Right. Um, and then the scenes with the resistance and Nissa seeming like she was telling them what was going on, but then actually, it seems like so we don't really know whose side right. she's truly on. Yeah. But it's like she told them she was being manipulated by Zod, but then she told Zod, "Oh, you know, they this is the information is they the bought information, the bait so who knows that you, what's they really going to happen." Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that we, I thought that it kept things moving along at a at a good at a good pace, and yep. the things that were happening were interesting. Yes, and uh, and then Swamp Thing. This was this was a really good episode of Swamp Thing too. It's funny because I think this is when I was watching it. I'm like, if they knew they only had ten episodes, they wouldn't have done this episode this way because it almost felt like it did it did move some of the plots forward, like especially the whole thing with the Sunderlands and so on. But it was almost a self contained episode in the sense that like. There's a there's a new problem in the ta- in in the town, and that is this corpse mm-hmm. that infects this guy, yeah. right? And Abby gets involved in the problem, mm-hmm. realizes there's something weird going on, goes to Alec for information, and then she and Alec end the problem, and mm-hmm. things seemingly go back to normal. But the the meta plot is still being moved forward a mm-hmm. little bit by. But when you think about it, it is almost like a self a, a, a self contained an episode as you would ever could ever Expect. get on a show like sure. this, right? But if they knew they were only getting 10, yeah. and for that matter, only one season of 10, they probably I don't think they would have, I think they would have found a way to introduce these ideas in a way that moved the story forward more, you mm-hmm. know? Agreed. So I, I do think you're going to get to the point around episode eight or nine where all of a sudden things are going to move into high gear or not. Maybe just like, look, we're not going to get to the end point we thought we were going to get to. There's no point in even trying because it would just make the show a mess. Right. So we'll just end it in like a more open-ended way or whatever. And, right. hope, and hope that it's satisfying because yeah. we can't. It definitely wouldn't be satisfying if we try to cram two seasons worth of development into these last two episodes, you know? Right. Um, we got more with Dan Cassidy and Xanadu. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you really, do you think that they'll have time to pay that off in any way, shape, or form? Cause I don't it's kind of, think it's so. It's really sad. That really seems like what I was, what we were talking about last week on the show where they had a, the, the rumor was that they had a three-season arc plan that would basically end with a Justice League Dark sort of being formed and presumably Blue Devil and Madame Xanadu would be part of that. This really feels like the first inkling of that where they're like, oh, you know, Abby's going to need our help in this town. There's something bad coming and you're going to have, it's your it's your hero's journey, Dan. You know, she says to him, you know, you're a hero that's been chosen to protect mm-hmm. this town or whatever. That really feels like something where they're setting up a longer thing for him. And right. I really don't think it's going to come, like maybe he'll help in the season finale in some way but yeah, i don't yeah. i think ultimately they were going to work towards him being blue devil Blue devil, yeah and i don't think they're going to get there so i think that i want to know where be... detective chimp is well it's not like he has to be in justice league dark i think when you're talking about just like i think you you need you probably want something in there i mean the linchpin is con- the every version of justice league dark has either had constantine in it or at least he's been there mm-hmm. like the current Appeared. the current That's iteration right. wonder woman and zatanna are sort of the heart of it and mm-hmm. not constantine yeah um, but he's still there he's still in most there. of the, most of the the, the issues. Um, yeah, you need like some combination of Swamp Thing, Madame Xanadu, Dead Man. 
I was about thing. to say Dead Man. Dead Man feels like he would fit in perfectly thing, yeah. on the show. I feel I like they could even do Etrigan on the show if they, probably not until like season two or three, like the a literal How demon cool. from hell. I feel yeah. like they could do it on the show, though, the way that it's sort of been set up. Um, and we kind of got the first inklings in this episode also of what I assume to be Anton Arcane. When Abby oh, had the yes. vision of this of someone who used to torment her, and her mother that told her that so he wouldn't be sense. he he the don't you know like he's not coming back or whatever. But and I'm trying to remember like I think it's funny because oh, I so I should cool. remember, but I think that he was her uncle, and then later they retconned it and saying look actually he was her father, but she was just told that he was her uncle or something. I can't I can't remember, but either way he's a relative of her and sort of like a paternal figure to her but he turns out to be like this evil guy that can create his unmen which are basically like these zombies you know he can, and that's why they scott snyder sort of ret- retroactively introduced the idea of the rot that he'd sort of been an avatar of without realizing oh. it um and it was like in her family blood which is oh, why no. like later stuff happens to her um it really felt like they were setting that up here i i i'm like they didn't have anton arcane anton arcane is like the swamp thing villain he's like aside from floronic man he's like the only swamp thing villain and they didn't introduce him in like the first four episodes. I'm like, Refresh so are they, my memory are they not doing Anton Arcane? Mm-hmm. So, but then they seem to be hinting at him here. But maybe again, is that Floronic Man? Is the Sunderlands and Floronic Man going to be season one? And mm-hmm. Anton Arcane was going to be season two? Right. And so maybe we won't get to see him at all. Right. You know, but what were you going to ask? I was about to ask um, Floronic Man, is that the... Mm, the two doctors, I can't remember well, it's their not names both for the them. life of it's me. A, it's just the one, right, because he not loses Floranic, his wife. It's not Floronic Man and Wife. It's I know. It's just Floronic Man. Yeah. yeah, it's Jason Woodrow. Got it. Okay. And I didn't even know if they're going to do that this season. Yeah, like, they what may if, not. What if the season finale was going to end with him... Turning be, into Turning Floronic into Floronic Man. Man. He was going to be the threat for season two or something. Right, because like, ter- currently the big at bad this is pace, Sunderland. I mean, it could change. Avery. It could turn on a dime. Like the next episode could have him being infected by the green somehow. and sure. he becomes. But the way that they're pacing the season, it really seems like season one, the primary threat is the Sunderlands and mm-hmm. what they've unleashed yeah. and the coming threat of the rot. And then season two might have been Floronic Man and... Anton Arcane, and then season three could have been, you know, the devil or something. And that's why you need Etrigan and the Spectre or whoever yeah. else they were going to introduce. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say, but obviously it's too bad that they're not going to get to do all that. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think this was a really good episode. I mean, if this was if this was what we got every week, which was, I mean, it would start to get repetitive after a while, but it's, it was so well done that I would like to see more of it, you know, just like a mysterious threat. This is what you feel like if, if it was, if this was a network drama, obviously you'd need to turn, tone down the violence and some of the other aspects of it. But if this were like a network show, like yep. a procedural, yeah. you know, CSI Murray, yeah. then you would <laughs> have, hilarious. you would have like a crime, a mysterious supernatural <laughs> crime that happened in the town. Right? Yes. And Abby would investigate it and yeah. she'd need help. So she'd go to Swamp Thing and Swamp Thing would help her figure out what was going on. And then together they would solve it. Right? Yeah. And things would go back to normal. And Wouldn't the CDC pull her at some point? She'd well, probably this just is, stay on it. Anyway. Well, this is this is something that was... But they talked about that in the episode. Is yes. That the people are doing better, but there's still a little right. bit of a lingering mystery about things. Mm-hmm. And so they haven't pulled her out yet. You get the sense that if it wasn't for everything else that she's got going on in the town, she probably would have volunteered to leave. She would have been like, I'm probably needed elsewhere more than I'm needed here now. But obviously she's embroiled in, right. in several ongoing matters here. So she yes. doesn't want to leave quite yet. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it, it's a, uh, it's a really good series. It's too bad. that it was Cut I short. I know. I hope that, it, I hope that at least, do you think it has a it has a decent ending? Ending, yeah. Because it would it's so it would be so bad to watch all of the all of the hard work that went into the show just crash and burn for forces beyond their control. At least if it, if it has an open ended ending, then that's right. 
like, I'll take that. <laughs> like I've seen, I've seen like a Caprica, right? Like Caprica was a was a One weird season, show, yeah. and it it had its issues. And but I felt like it was kind of finding its voice by the end, and then but then they only got the one season, right? But they still included a little thing at the end, which I thought was ballsy. But they're like, <laughs> this, um, what was it like like next season on Caprica? Like they knew they weren't getting another yeah. season, but this is like, I don't know if this was for the fans. Like here's <laughs> here's here's a little, little hint of the things that were going to happen, mm-hmm. just to sate your curiosity, yeah. or it was kind of like. At the network, like, here's all the cool stuff that would have happened if you hadn't canceled us, you <laughs> <know>. jerks. <laughs> but we got to see, like, oh, here's where they, they actually give a human a human looking body to their daughter again. Right. And here's this church that's been, you know, and now the whatever the name of the her best friend that became like the hype the the pope basically of their of that religion. Mm-hmm. Like now she's leading their ceremonies and all this other interesting stuff is going mm-hmm. on. The Cylons are out there in the world now mm-hmm. and we're never gonna get to see all that. But they they knew they weren't gonna get any more episodes, but they didn't try to they didn't do a time jump at the end and try to tell all those plots in the last two episodes. It's right. like, here's a little hint of what would have, would have happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but we're never going to get to see that. So right. I kind of hope they do something similar to that. Like if you, if it's open-ended, people are going to complain, but the people, but those who know the reasons for it are going to understand, but at least you can have a, you can have a good ending that's open-ended, but right. if you try to rush it, it's not going to be, nobody's going to be happy. Right. Right. Cause the people who don't know the, that the reasons are just going to think, that it was badly written. Right. People that do know the reasons are going to be like, yeah, but that's this is not what I wanted. Like, I didn't want you to try to tell everything in 60 minutes, you know? Right, right. So. Yeah. Yep. We'll have to see. Yep. So next week we'll have these three shows again. And um, I depending on when we record, no, we won't have Young Justice. Young Justice comes back on Tuesday, but we probably will be, won't be recording on Tuesday. So we'll probably just have these it's two true. shows again next week. So I have a, um, a quick question about, last thing about Swamp Thing is, um, kind of like with Constantine, w- when that got canceled, there was a little bit of hope at the end of the tunnel for a little while because it could have been picked up by a different network. Is that the scenario here? I think that that's, I think that that's way less likely in this situation because this was a homegrown show made specifically in-house for this niche streaming service. Right. Like you can go from NBC to like when Netflix picked up Lucifer after Fox canceled it or, you know, like something like that. Like right. you can go from a, ma- a major broadcast network cancels it, but a, a smaller scale streaming service is like, you know what? We service these niche markets. Mm-hmm. We'll take your, or like when, when The Expanse was canceled by Sci-Fi, but Amazon Prime picked it up or whatever exactly. like that. Like yeah. you can go from a, you can go from one to the other, but you can't really go the other way. Like if, if, if um, when Netflix stopped doing House of Cards. Right. You weren't going to have like CBS wasn't going to step in and pick it up. Like you don't go right. from a niche, high budget, mature audiences, extended format streaming service to exactly. a 40 minute network show. Exactly. It doesn't go the other way. No. So I don't know who would pick this up. I mean, the only, I think the only chance would be like it could get undone if the financial, I mean, we're all assuming the stories about the financial reasons for the cancellation are true. There's always a chance that that could be reversed or they could find some way around that. I think. I mean, the only thing that I can imagine possibly happening is if the fan response to this is really good, which hopefully it, it has been, but I have, we have no way of knowing because they don't, they haven't released any numbers right. and probably won't because what are they going to say? Oh, oh, this show that we've already said we're only giving one season is our biggest hit ever. Yeah. They're, you know, they'd look like idiots. Right. So they're not going to say that. Um, the only, the only thing that could happen, I think, is maybe if the, the rumors that I hope aren't true are true and the DC Universe service kind of ends up being folded into a, a bigger Warner Media streaming app 
which now has the entire weight of Warner, Warner Media behind it. Yeah. And they, they're going through their portfolio thinking, okay, we need to bolster our lineup of original content. We've got all these DC shows in here now. Do we have any of these DC shows that we could maybe get more episodes for mm-hmm. without having to completely... And then there's, well, there's a Swamp Thing thing that didn't make a lot of financial sense because of, you know, these right. tax breaks or whatever. Um, but now, you know, we could actually, it turns out we could film it in like Miami for a fraction of the cost or whatever because right. who knows. But at that point, this potentially years down the line, all the actors have been released from their contracts. Mm-hmm. They're off doing other shows probably. It would be hard to get them back. Really, the only chance you have, like normally when a show is canceled, that's when you start the ticking clock because the actors have whatever, yeah. you know, on their contracts. And it's like once they're canceled, like you have, they're, they're retained for six months or whatever. Right. And once those six months are over, they're released from their contracts and they can go get other work. But they're mm-hmm. not allowed to take other work on an ongoing basis for that six months. In right. Case there's a should, little hold. Yeah. There's a clause in there. Um and that's normally when people who who know these things, like if a show is canceled, they start like, okay, start the clock. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's like the day before that is up. Like I think that's what happened for, was it um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something or, or Lucifer? Like there was literally like the last day before the actors would have been released from their contracts mm-hmm. that someone stepped in and said, you know what, we're going to pick this show up for another season or whatever. Um, so at this point, I think that clock is probably running. And if, you know, a year goes by, probably significantly less, they can't tell these actors not to work for no. a year if a few months go by and we haven't heard anything then i think i mean who who knows right i mean constantine was not picked up by another network no, sadly. but we've got we got matt ryan back as constantine in multiple other projects yep. right mm-hmm. so who knows i mean the the dc comics universe yeah like once you're in that family i mean like kevin conroy christopher reeve like these people play a character once mm-hmm. and then from then until they die yeah, they have a chance to come back and yeah. come back and do either reprise that character in other projects or play do a guest appearance as a different character in the next iteration of that show. Yeah, like it, if this is well received, then it wouldn't surprise me if we see some iteration that's similar to this or some characters from this pop up somewhere else eventually, whether it's animated or a web series mm-hmm. or or something completely different. Um, or a spin-off comic or something that's done by the same writers to mm-hmm. conclude their story, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw something like that, but I think that it, the idea of it being like, of it getting a, a full season two right. with the same cast, writers, production values, sets, locations, everything are, at this point, you know, if, if the summer is over and we haven't heard anything, I think it's it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Well, that's the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, that's it for our show. Well, so if you want to reach out to us with questions, comments, suggestions, anything you like, uh, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. And Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? Um, I, don't, I can't think of one. How about? <laughs> what was that? It's a crocodile in the swamp. Oh, okay. <laughs>